Hello, welcome to Sounds from the Shadows, a podcast about folklore and fairy tales. My name is Emily, and I'll be telling you a story. Before I get started, though, I would like to make an apology for possible issues with the sound quality. I'm having to record on the inbuilt microphone on my laptop. I'm having issues with my external microphones, hopefully issues that will be resolved soon. But we are coming up to the most wondrous time of the year. When the crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake to my favourite time of the year, spooky season and Halloween. It's a time to talk about ghosts and goblins, wonders and witches, and I personally am very fond of witches. I think the first Halloween costume I ever dressed up as was probably a witch, and I've been a variety of different witches over the years. In fact, this year I'm going to be a witch again, a blue witch, and I've just finished completing a lovely net cape for myself to wear. It has absolutely no heat in it, but it looks very stylish. And as I'm sure many of you have by this stage, I recently watched the new Hocus Pocus film, Hocus Pocus 2, and I watched it with my sisters three in our own little very cosy coven. I was a little bit apprehensive, I suppose, when I heard that there was going to be a sequel to the film. I think a lot of people have that feeling when there's a sequel or a remake of a well-beloved classic, and I'm very fond of the original Hocus Pocus film. I can remember it the first time I saw it. I was quite young, I think I was two or three, certainly very small. I don't know if it was at Halloween, but it was certainly in one of the darker months of the year. My mum had found out that there was going to be a Disney witch film playing on the television, and thought that I, her spooky little Halloween baby, would enjoy watching it. So the two of us got into our bed, we curled up, she turned on the television, and we started to watch it. And I think we got about five minutes in and she turned it off because she decided it was too scary. Much to my horror. Because I was and still am a firm believer that if you're watching a scary film, particularly with a child, they need to see the ending. They need closure. They need resolution. But I can see why a parent, particularly a parent of a small child, might be turned off by the first five minutes of Hocus Pocus. Because in it you have the life sucked out of a child, a child whose name is Emily also, so maybe that was giving my mum some apprehension. Life sucked out of a child, another child cursed for all eternity, and three women are hanged. Which, when you think about it, that's a reasonably high body count for the first five minutes of a children's film. But while my mother might have been turned off the film, I loved it. I loved the witches. I loved their cottages. I loved their costumes. I loved their cauldron. I loved book. I loved witches. And there was another story about a group of three witches, which I first heard, again, as a very small child, and which has also stayed with me for the rest of my life. I can remember hearing this story on audio cassette, and in my memory of it, it's in the car driving at night. Years later, as a grown-up, I tried looking for it, but I had huge difficulty finding it. I looked through my books of folklore, I looked through my books of ghost stories, and I couldn't seem to find it. At last, though, I did, in the form of a children's picture book. The book is that of The Witches and the Singing Mice, by Jenny Nimmo, with illustrations 
by Angela Barrett. The summary of the book says that it's a retelling of a Celtic fairy tale, but thus far, Jenny Nimmo's book is the only source I can find for it. The book is currently out of print, but I was able to get my hands on a lovely second-hand hard copy edition. I also bought myself a second copy and gave it to a young cousin of mine, and hopefully they will enjoy the story of witches, and their parents won't be too annoyed at me giving their children a slightly scary book. But I think that is enough preamble, so I shall now start my retelling of a retelling. I will tell you the story of the three dark sisters and the singing mice. Once upon a time, long ago, there was a little village in the highlands. Overlooking this village was a tall cliff, and at the top of the cliff there was an old dark house. For as long as anyone living in the village could remember, no one had lived in the old dark house. But one day, a child, playing in the yard with their cat, looked up and pointed to the old dark house. There was smoke coming out of its chimney. The people began to talk and to gossip about who could be living there. No one had seen anyone move in, but surely there must be someone living there now. The inhabitants of the village soon discovered who was dwelling in the old dark house. Three sisters. Three strange sisters. Three weird sisters. The sisters all wore dark clothes of blacks and greys and browns. Their skirts all brushed the ground so no one could see their feet. They wore shawls and scarves wrapped about their bodies, and each of the sisters wore a large hat with a deep brim that covered her face. But out from the shadow under the brim of the hat, sometimes there would be a flash of an eye, and anyone who found themselves caught in that flash of an eye would feel a shiver run up their spine, as if someone was walking over their grave. The children were frightened of the three weird sisters. If one of them came to town on an errand, the children would be sure to hide themselves away. People began to whisper that they were witches. One day, one of the dark sisters came down to the village and went to the blacksmith's. The blacksmith's daughter was playing with her cat outside the forge, but when she saw the strange sister coming, she ran inside and hid herself under the bench. The weird sister went into the forge. Blacksmith, she called in a voice like nails on chalk. Make me a bed, a great iron bed with four feet of claws, and make it tonight. I cannot make your bed like that by tonight. Give me a week or two and then we'll see what can be done. Tonight. Make it tonight, or it'll be the worst for you. I told you before, I cannot make you that by tonight. I have other work to be doing for other people. Get away out of my forge with your demands. The weird sister held the blacksmith's gaze for just a second too long, before she turned and walked out of the forge. But as she did, her eyes fell on the little girl hiding under the bench, and the little girl felt a strange shiver, like someone was walking over her grave. The blacksmith's cat, Tam, felt it too, and the hair on his back stood up on end like needlepoints. That night, everyone in the blacksmith's family slept soundly in their beds, even Tam the cat. In fact, if anyone asked him, Tam would have said he had never slept deeper or more soundly in all of his nine lives. The next morning, the blacksmith went to wake his daughter. 
but when he called to her, she made no response. He went over and shook the little girl, but she didn't move. She didn't stir. The blacksmith shook her again, more urgently, but still the little girl slept on. The blacksmith called for his wife. The child would not wake up. The blacksmith's wife rushed in. She too could not wake the child. They called for the doctor, and the doctor came and examined every inch of the little girl. He put his hand on her forehead to feel her temperature, held her wrist in his hand to feel her pulse, even pricked her toe with a pin. She wouldn't wake up. And the girl was perfectly fine, perfectly healthy. She was just asleep. And in a sleep where no one could wake her, on all her body there wasn't a scratch, there wasn't a mark, except on her finger, where there were two tiny indents, as if she'd been bitten by very, very small teeth. That day, while everyone was talking about the blacksmith's daughter and how she wouldn't wake up, Another of the dark sisters came down from the old house on the hill. She went to the carpenters. Make me a wardrobe. Make me a wardrobe of oak, as tall as a man and as deep as a coffin. And make it, tonight. The carpenter looked up from his work. I haven't enough oak to be making you a wardrobe like that. But I've got some very good pine. Oak, make it of oak and make it tonight. I cannot do what you ask for. Then it will be the worse for you. And the weird sister held the blacksmith's eye for just a little too long before she turned and left. That night, all of the carpenter's household slept soundly and slept deep. In the morning, as the carpenter's wife was preparing porridge for breakfast, she called upstairs to their son, but he didn't answer. She called again louder, but still the boy did not answer. She went up the stairs into his room and found the boy lying there fast asleep and try as she might. She could not wake him. Again the doctor was called for and again, try as the doctor might, they could not wake the child nor could they find anything wrong with the child. Anything save two tiny marks on the finger, two little indents, as if made by a set of tiny teeth. And now the whole village was talking about the two children who would not wake, about the strange coincidence that this had happened just after their parents had defied the wishes of the strange sisters from the old house on the tall hill. And everyone wondered, what could those little marks on the children's fingers be? I remember, said old Granny Pine, the oldest woman in the village, and the woman who knew things about herbs and the signs of birds. I remember once my grandmother told me about the singing mice. It said that when the singing mice sing, all who hear them fall asleep. And if you're bitten by a singing mouse, well then you will sleep forever. Unless, of course, someone can catch a singing mouse and place it beneath your pillow. When Robbie, the ginger cat who lived with the carpenter's family, heard this, his ears pricked up. He ran to find Tam, the blacksmith's cat. Tam was lying sorrowfully on the bed of the blacksmith's daughter. He had been lying there since the morning that she had not woken up. Robbie jumped up onto the windowsill and began to yowl at Tam to come outside and speak with him. Tam! Tam! He yowled, but Tam just turned his back on him. Tam, you great flea-bitten moggy! 
Are you just going to sulk there like a sack of useless fur, or are you going to come with me and find a singing mouse? A singing mouse? asked Tam, and Robbie told him what he had heard from old Granny Pine, about how the bite of a singing mouse could cause a human to sleep forever. But if you could place a dead singing mouse beneath the pillow of the sleeper, they would be cured. We're the two greatest mousers in the village. Surely we can find a singing mouse between us. And so the two cats hunted. They hunted high, they hunted low. They hunted in attics, in cellars, in kitchens, in parlours. They hunted in hay bales, they hunted in stables. They hunted in schoolrooms and studies and parlours and larders. But not a single mouse could they find, let alone a singing one. Just as they were about to give up, though, they saw, coming from the old house on the tall hill, one of the strange sisters making her way down to the village. The two cats watched from the shadows as she went to the weavers. Weaver, I want a hundred yards of black cloth, blacker than night, smoother than silk, and I want it tonight. A hundred yards? I can't weave a hundred yards in one night. Do it, or it will be the worse for you. And she held the weaver's eye for just a second too long before she turned and left. There's something strange about those sisters, and I would bet my right eye that they're at the root of this. Let us go up to the old house on the tall hill and see what they do. And so the two brave cats crept up the tall hill and crept about the dark house that sat there brooding. Every window in the house was barred shut. The cats could not find so much as a chink to look through. Inside, though, they could hear the sound of scratching and of muttering. And when the sun had set and the moon was high, the door opened and the three weird sisters walked out of the house. They walked along the back of the hill and towards the forest. Robbie went to follow, but Tam stopped him. Suppose they make the mice sing. If we hear the mice singing, we'll fall asleep and all will be for naught. The two cats looked about them, and as luck would have it, they found some wool of a sheep that had been caught upon a thistle. Each cat took a piece and stuffed it into their ears, and then followed the dark sisters as they walked into the forest. As the three weird sisters went deeper and deeper into the trees, they began slowly to shed their lairs, to unwind their shawls, loose their scarfs, and take off their wide-brimmed hats. The more of their clothes they shed, the less and less like women they began to look. And by the time they had shed the last piece of cloth, Tam and Robbie saw them in their true forms. Not three human sisters. Three huge, black hellcats with razor claws and eyes that glowed like coals. The three cats made their way into a clearing in the centre of the forest. One stretched her neck to the sky and gave a great yowl. And then out from the undergrowth came the mice. Small, tiny white mice, their fur gleaming in the moonlight, so they could have been mistaken for a broken string of pearls. The hellcats seemed to be addressing the mice, and Tam and Robbie quickly pulled the wool from their ears so they could hear what was said. Today the weaver insulted me. He has two little babies sleeping in a cradle. Go, mice, bite the twins and make sure they sleep forever.
The little mice shivered and cowered before the great hellcat, but one little mouse, his white fur streaked with silver, stepped forward. He stood up on his hind legs, and Tam and Robbie could see that his eyes were white and milky. The frightened little blind mouse stood before the three hellcats and spoke in a quavering voice. No, he said. What? roared the great hellcats. No, repeated the little mouse. We don't want to bite the children. We won't do what you say any more. The brave mouse stood before the cats, and even if he had been able to see, the paw moved so quickly to strike him that even Tam and Robbie didn't see it coming. The little blind mouse lay dead at the feet of the cats. All the other mice shivered and called, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, you say, please, please don't hurt us. Tam looked at Robbie, and Robbie looked at Tam. They couldn't allow this to happen. They couldn't allow these hell cats to bully the mice, to make them bite the children. And they were the two fiercest tomcats in all the village. No one could stand against them in a fight, not when they were together. And with one voice, they both screamed their battle cry and launched themselves at the three hell cats. The fight was fierce, fur was flying. The hellcats had claws like razors and teeth like knives. But Tam and Rab worked like a team, weaving around them, ducking and dodging. Even so, one claw took a nick out of Tam's ear and Robbie would never forget the blow dealt to his hip, especially when the wind blew from the north. But still the two cats fought on. They fought for the children. They fought for the mice. They fought for their very souls. They fought long and hard enough that the three hellcats did not notice the dawn creeping up to the edge of the sky. A glimmer of daylight made its way through the trees and one of the great hellcats gave a yowl as the light fell upon her fur. She turned and fled back to the dark house on the tall hills, trying to gather up her shawls and scarves and skirts and hats along the way. The other two turned tail soon after her and fled, but they were not fast enough to outrun the dawn. Tam and Robbie were hot on their heels, and they saw how the sunlight, when it fell upon their unprotected fur, melted the three weird sisters away like morning mist. When they were certain the sisters were gone, the two cats turned back and limped their way into the clearing. The singing mice, too, had vanished. The only one remaining, the poor, old, brave, blind mouse, who had stood up against the sisters. Gently, the cats picked up the tiny body in their mouths and carried it back to the village. They went first to the house of the blacksmith. They climbed the stairs and placed the tiny mouse beneath the pillow of the sleeping girl. Then the two cats collapsed, exhausted from their injuries. A few hours later, Tam was woken up to feel soft fingers tickling under his chin. Oh, my poor little kitty cat. What happened to your ear? Tam sprang up to his feet. The blacksmith's daughter was awake. She picked him up in her arms and cuddled him close. What have you been up to, my little kitty cat? She's awake! She's awake! cried Tam. The blacksmith and his wife heard the commotion and ran upstairs. They were overjoyed to see their daughter awake, though she couldn't understand what all the fuss was about. An equal sound was coming from the home of the carpenter, for the carpenter's son, too, had suddenly woken up and asked if breakfast was ready because he was starving. After the celebrations and the merriment was over, Tam and Robbie met up again. 
I don't understand, said Robbie. We placed the mouse under her pillow. How did the carpenter's son wake up as well? I can't explain it, said Tam, except that it must be some kind of magic. Because when I went to look under the pillow, the body of the little mouse was gone. I looked under the bed and beneath the sheets, but there was no sign of it. Perhaps the mice came when we slept and moved the body and then took it away with them. Perhaps, or perhaps singing mice are like cats and have nine lives. Either way, you and I are certainly the bravest tomcats in all the highlands, but I'd say that that little mouse who stood up to the cats, well, he was braver than both of us put together. And that is the end of the story. I hope you've enjoyed it even with the sound issues. I hope to have them fixed by the time I get to the next story. If you enjoyed the story and would like to get a copy of The Witches and the Singing Mice by Jenny Nemo, I've put a link to her website in the episode description. There are also links to uh, the Tales from the Shadows slash Sounds from the Shadows social media in the episode description, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you enjoyed this, if you have something you'd like to recommend, please, I'd love to hear from you. I'm not always the fastest at getting back, but I will get back eventually. And until the next story, stay safe. Bye.